KOs and TKOs, we are live. Episode 20 on this beautiful, beautiful Wednesday morning in the valley. Temperatures cooling down a little bit. Rocking the black and yellow as I head to LA this weekend to see Steelers Rams. Check out SoFi. Uh, got a little Steelers tailgate uh, events on Saturday and Sunday. Le'Veon Bell appearance for the Sunday tailgate. So it should be a ton of fun. But man, what a fun week in MMA. Early morning action. I'll be driving to LA, streaming the fights on my phone. Um, man, I am just so fired up about this weekend's card. We also are recapping USC Fight Night Vegas 80, which was last weekend's card. You know, put a little slight conversation in some grappling events as well as the KSI Tommy Fury recap, if there is a recap to be had. Um, But episode 20, I'm your host, Shane Gillette. We're going to jump right into Bose and TKO's MMA action. Um, Last week had a little bit of a later episode in the week, so not a lot of fights that have been booked uh, since last episode, but we have Nasrat Haparis taking on Jamie Malarkey December 9th. Again, that's the Shanghai card. It's officially in Shanghai. We got Fight Night Sao Paulo coming up, uh, Fight Night Shanghai, Fight Night Austin, Texas. You love to see the Fight Nights, you know, taking place elsewhere, get the fans around the nation excited versus just the Apex. We have Ketlin Vieira taking on Macy Chiasson, uh January 13th. That should be a very uh, a good quality matchup there on the women's side of things. And then uh, we'll see if this happens. Or Both of these guys have had some fights booked lately, haven't quite pulled through. But adding another great scrap to an already stacked, I mean stacked, UFC 296 card. We have Cody Nolove Garbrandt returning against Brian Kelleher. Uh, so that should be a fun one or two veteran OGs. Elsewhere in the, M- in the MMA world, I wouldn't say super controversial, but a little bit of a controversial thing happening with... Uh, the UFC deciding not to renew with USADA as their drug testing and drug assistance company. So uh, they are partnering with DFSI, the Drug Free Sports International. They work with the NFL, NCAA, a lot of the major sports leagues, um, especially in the U.S., but around the world. And for me, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, this is the Conor McGregor treatment. Now people can take steroids. I do think that this is going to take place um, – in a, in a good situation where things are better for the fighters, things are cleaned up a little bit. USADA did have some legacy ways of doing things. And I don't think that we're just going to get a bunch of steroided, roided out people, juiced up fighters that can put other fighters in harm. I, I think we still are going to have a clean sport. But some of the situations, like the six-month entering window to come back, you know, someone like Connor who does snap his leg gets um, prescribed some steroids to heal. You know, does he need to wait six months? They'll probably make changes there. We have some of those picogram tests for, like, tainted substances. I I think that might be cleaned up a little bit, so we're not having guys suspended for, like, the a million, you know. They say a picogram is a a piece of salt. If you could dice that up in a million, that's what they're testing on. So, like, literally nothing. Um, So I think it's going to be okay. I think it's going to be good for the sport. It'll be interesting to see what happens. But I do think the only reason this happened was because of Conor McGregor, the UFC wanting them to come back and uh, not delay it as him and Chandler are, are very past due. Um, plus UFC 300 coming around the corner. Dana White kind of says, hey, I'm, uh, you know, I have no plans for Conor. We don't know what's going on. Blah, blah, blah. 
Uh, but I'm pretty sure it, it's meant for UFC 300. We could all assume that. But a lot of people just want to be like, oh, the UFC is crazy. They're just trying to, you know, uh, get roided out fighters. I don't think that's the case at all. They've built a brand. It's a public company now with the Endeavor Group. And I think that this is, is probably a good move. Um, and if they didn't announce the DFSI and the strategy, I know they had to to get in front of the crazy stories going out there. Um, but then I'd be concerned if they hadn't already named and had a plan for what's next. Speaking of uh, pops, Daniel Rodriguez suspended six months for a positive drug test, so he won't be able to fight until January. Israel Adesanya uh, said he's taking some time off. He's been one of the more active champions in, in UFC history. Um, is always down. Him and Volkanovski obviously took a couple hard losses in his past few fights. Doesn't seem like he, he wanted the immediate rematch. Just wants to take some time to get healthy. I think this is a good move. I think him taking some time means we'll see him Q2 of next year. I don't think it's going to be a, a long stretch by any means. Um, but I do. I would say summertime, July, International Fight Week type uh, situation that we'll see is Israel back in the octagon. Uh, a bunch of fighters off the roster. Some uh, I, I marked down some of the more noticeable. We have Shane Young, John Macdesi, Andre Fialio, and JP Buys off the UFC roster. None of these really catch me by surprise. And with all the Dana White uh, Contender Series contracts, I guess this is bound to happen. Um, this weekend, we had the Days In shit show of a production. Basically, it is the content creator, video bloggers, young Gen Z um, generation. But supposedly, this pay-per-view had 1.3 million pay-per-view buys, which is more than uh, a Conor McGregor card. So apparently, they're getting people to tune in, spend their money that's the power of Jake Paul, Prime, KSI, uh, and Dylan Dennis with the slandering and, and, and trolling he's done online that has, you know, 10X'd his followers and kind of gave people an idea who the hell he was. I didn't pay for this. I streamed it, you know, found a stream on it. And uh, it was definitely a waste of time. I was watching the UFC fights on my big screen. Glad I did. I feel sorry for anyone who paid for this. Um... KSI wants to say he got robbed in the main event. I don't think that was the case. I think Tommy Fury did win. KSI, all he did was his, his little thing here, here, came and clinched. Tommy would get some punches in. But it's like, if we're going to box, let's box. You know, don't find a way to a slight way to victory. I just can't stand this shit. This shit's so cringeworthy to me. Um, Tommy Fury, clearly better than these, uh, you know, YouTube content creators. And then the Logan Paul, Dylan Dennis fight. Dylan Dennis threw like 10 punches. You know, he wanted to have his moments where he could say he had an opportunity to keep his name relevant. Now he wants to go to the UFC. I hope nobody lets this guy perform in any sort of sports league at, at any pro point because he has clearly showed that he's not, you know, he doesn't know how to throw punches right. He doesn't know how to fight. Uh, he hasn't taken it seriously. He didn't have a boxing coach. You know, all you're going to do is bring his pull from slandering people online, and I, I don't think that's something that we should promote. So I hope that doesn't happen. But it was a shit show of a fight. You know, there's lots of rumors of Logan Royds potentially on Royd. Logan Paul. <laughs> Logan Royds on Royds. Logan Paul on steroids. He was juiced. Um, you know, I am not an expert in this, this category. I would not be surprised if he was. Doesn't seem like there was any drug testing. He's in the WWE. I'm pretty sure there's people juiced up in the WWE. Uh, and he's trying to be, you know, a, a big time figure there. To each their own. Um, I would rather have fighting be clean. 
but none of this is clean. None of this is real. Hopefully we move on. I would like to see the, some of this come to an end, um, but it is what it is. It gathers headlines. It's why I bring about it. I really don't care about it. And, uh, you know, I'm here to talk fighting. I'm not here to be a woke, um, trendy YouTube creator. I have a good knowledge of MMA. I'm a hardcore fan. I watch all the events. I study the stuff. I study tape for certain fights like I did this weekend's card. And I'm going to give you guys my thoughts. I think it's valuable. My record speaks for itself on my picks. As we've started bows and TKOs, you know, I've been doing this a couple of years with business and buckets before the rebrand. And eventually going to bring fighters in here to tell fighter stories, to help provide uh, and help the future generation of MMA fighters, and then have the business podcast to tell entrepreneurship stories. I care about it. I'm passionate about it. It can help people helping people. That's what it's all about. I'm not here to get clicks and, and, and do things. Yes, I would love for you to subscribe. Yes, I would love for you to like and share if you tune in. Uh, but just the world that we're in, it's, it's a crazy place. Speaking about crazy, Showtime Sports shutting down at the end of the year. Uh, you know, majority, I, I would say majority of their coverage is boxing, uh, but they also do the Bellator MMA, and obviously Bellator expected to be sold. I've heard potentially be finalized the end of this week, um, but Bellator 301 is expected to be the final Bellator event. Again, my interest is where do some of the good talent in Bellator go? Do they just go to the PFL? Uh, do they have an free agency option to choose if they if the UFC is interested are they locked into contracts that's the stuff I'm interested to see shake out because I brought this up many times there's some interesting fighters on the roster that would be fun in the the UFC obviously my guy Bryce Meredith you know I hope something happens to him him and uh Mike I forget his last name nickname Magic Mike they both train uh at Red Hawk Academy with uh Tim Welch and Sean O'Malley and those guys and the MMA lab, um, Umar Nurmagomedov, um, Sergio Pettis, um, uh, the light heavyweight cha champion, Vadim Nemkov. There's some very intriguing fights uh, to be had with those guys in the UFC, and that would be a ton of fun, some Michael Chandler-esque uh, type plays, but I have no idea if that's going to happen. So, you know, just the curiosity um, is going through my head for, for that situation. In the grappling event, we do have that ADCX one this weekend. I, I believe it's Friday in Abu Dhabi. Um, but we also have a next uh, match for Gordon Ryan, the grappling um, goat, really. Uh, he is taking on Lucas Barbosa, November 30th. That'll be at heavyweight for the Tezos WNO um, event in Austin, Texas. These two last competed in the ADCC semifinal in 2019. Ryan ended up with the gold medal, Barbosa the bronze, you know, a good four years of improvement opportunities for these guys. Obviously, Gordon has had health issues in and out of training. He trains every day that he is healthy, though, and can train. You know, can Bar Barbosa show that improvement? I think this is going to be one of the better quality fights for Gordon, besides like a Nicky Rod fight. So excited to see that go down November 30th. I don't know really how to watch it. If you can watch it, you got to pay, get it through a paywall to watch it, or if I can just see the results. But either way, um, hopefully something happens. I'm a Fight Pass subscriber. Hopefully something like that allows you to tune in. But let's jump into last weekend's card. We had UFC Fight Night Vegas 80. I went five and four in picks, still above 500. I'll take it. That puts bows and TKOs 
Record overall on 20 episodes as 102 wins, 65 losses, and the draw. So far, can't complain about it. Almost doubling up. Um, I would like to get um, a little bit higher, you know, by the end of the year. Um, maybe like plus 80 or 90 on the wins. That would be fantastic, but we'll see what happens. Some good fights we did not break down. Wasn't really a good fight, but we got to give them a shout out. Terrence T-Rex McKinney with a first round, round knockout over the short uh, short notice opponent, Brendan Marotti. I believe making his UFC debut as well. Only lasted 20 seconds. Don't blink. Terrence McKinney obviously comes out, out, out fought guns a-blazing a lot of the time. I think he was a little bit more measured, but he just found the spot and kept connecting on big power shots. Got the early finish. And then we had Chirez and Lacerda rebooked. Uh, there was an early stoppage. They rebooked it, but there was a non-weight cutting issue by Lacerda, so the fight got called off. Who knows if this fight's going to happen now. Two Dana White contender series guys. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. So there was one less, one less fight happening on this card. But we're going to kick it off in the prelims. We had Emily Ducate with a unanimous decision win over Ashley Yoder. And, um, you know, this was Yoder's first appearance in the octagon in two years. She had two shoulder surgeries. I'm not sure if it was one on each or two on one. Um, but she looked good. She, she came in pretty confident. She had a nice, nice length advantage and really was getting active early on. But Ducate clearly had the power advantage, and she was just dominating with that straight one-two, big one-twos. Um, through the first two rounds, though, she would just do one-two, get in her boxing stance, keep her guard up high, bounce around, keep moving a little bit, one-two. And those twos would be just powerful. You could see Yoda react. I wish she would have followed up with that a little bit. All right, let me come in and you know land a couple of big hooks. Uh, going into rounds two and three, she started getting loopy with those shots and really landing power shots on Yoder. And clearly, if you saw the fight, by the end of it, Yoder had some pretty nasty cuts. Welcome back to the UFC. And uh, again, I just thought Emily's young. She's she's shown potential. She is so calculated, though. Let loose a little bit. When you're landing big shots, bring a couple more. I'm not saying you have to gas yourself out, but follow up once you get land those damaging shots. You got to be able to feel it. You got to be able to see it. Um, so I wish she would have gone through the, gone for the finish. Um, but she did well, you know, combated the length of Yoder well, but for Yoder having the time off, pretty impressive. Ducate is not a slouch. It'll be interesting to see what's next for Emily. Statistically, Ashley landed 105 total strikes, hundred of two, 102 of which were significant. And she was 0 for three in takedown attempts. Emily landed 119 total strikes, 117 of those significant with a takedown. So again, Ashley, especially early on, was landing good volume compared to Emily. Emily had more damaging strikes. As the fight went on, it was the Ducate show. So Emily starts a new winning streak. She is 3-2 since 2022. So she's been active since she's been on the UFC roster. And Ashley extends her losing streak to three. With the layoff, she has not won since November of 2020. So it's really going to be interesting to see what's next for Ashley. You know, if she is still in the UFC, still wants to fight, I think Maria Oliveira would make sense. And for Emily, how about Diana Belbita, who just uh, took a loss recently. That timeline would match up. And to be honest, would be a fun fight of two young, uh, a great fight between two young fighters. 
So we got that fight. Moving on, we had this fight right as well. We had Chris Gutierrez with the unanimous decision over Alan Tengele. And um, Alan Tengele definitely took the massively powerful leg strikes of Chris Gutierrez like a champ. I mean, Chris had his front leg chop suey. You could see the welt, the redness um, really early on. I mean, he probably landed 10 of just devastating calf, like, upper leg kicks, and uh, he, he, you know, Alatangeli really didn't showcase that. He kept putting the power on the front leg, kept coming in with combinations, um, but clearly those those paid dividends. I thought Chris was going to be able to get the finish just with leg kicks alone, um, kind of like Jonathan Martinez did, uh, but, you know, props to Alatangeli. He trains with a good camp. He's, he, he showcased his uh, durability and toughness, and he had his moments, but this really was more lopsided as the fight went on. Um, Alan Tengeli was beat up. He tried for takedowns, couldn't get it. Very, very good performance by Chris Gutierrez, especially, um, you know, kind of getting disrespected as early on in a, a freaking apex card early in the prelims and coming off a loss and being in the top 15. So statistically, Chris landed 115 total strikes, 110 of those significant. Alan Tengeli landed 39 total strikes, 38 significant, so a big drastic um, difference in volume there. He did get two takedown attempts and four attempts, or two takedowns and four attempts. But Chris now starts a new winning streak. He is 3-1 and one since 2022. He does move up one spot in the rankings to number 14. And Ala Tengeli uh, starts a new losing streak. He is 2-1 since 2022. I, I think the, the best fight... Uh, to be matched up for Chris would be Adrian Yanez. I think that would be a fantastic matchup. We'll break uh, Adrian's fight down later. You know, if Yanez didn't completely destroy and tear his knee, that's a possibility. If he does, if he did, it probably isn't going to happen anytime soon. I'm gonna see if uh, there's an update on it. Just says fears MCL tear. suggested that he tore his MCL. Just says he needs an MRI. There hasn't been a, an update yet that I can see. If he tore his MCL, Chris will probably move on to fight somebody else. Um, but that that's the banger. That's the banger that we need. Let's say he can't fight him. Maybe Umar Nurmagomedov. I think that would be a good fight. Um, I think I said in Bellator, Umar. There's Umar Usman. Saeed, there's so many of them. Usman is the Bellator fighter. Umar is the uh, UFC fighter. And then for Alan Tengeli, Damon Blackshear, that would be a great fight to make. I mean, this bantamweight division, you could pretty much match up anyone. Great fights. I would like to see the Yanez fight with Chris, but I would not be upset about Umar if he would take that fight because technically he's fighting back. Uh, Chris deserves it, though. Hopefully Umar respects that, and we'll see what happens. Moving on. The, a fight that I did not get right. Not surprised, though. Darren Elkins with the second-round submission via rear naked choke over TJ Brown. And uh, this was kind of a sloppy fight. Darren typically fights sloppy. You know, I figured all the miles, all the damage, the damage is taken, that's his nickname, uh, would, would catch up to him. TJ's a lot younger. He's shown the cardio. He's shown that he can grapple. He's shown that he can strike. 
he just did not fight a clean technical fight. He was sloppy. He was doing well on the feet. Obviously, Darren wanted to get the fight down to the ground, and TJ even got takedowns of his own, was welcoming grappling exchanges, and every time he tried jiu-jitsu or top control, Darren somehow found a way to reverse it, get on, on top himself, and it was just gassed TJ out, although TJ showed that he probably had a little bit better cardio in there. He was doing high-energy stuff to get takedowns, again, welcoming those grappling exchanges, Maybe in the first round, that makes sense. Darren got the takedown. He had top control. He wins the round. Round two, let's keep it standing. Let's not go welcome grappling exchanges. Go up against the cage. Get clinch situations. You know, try to really lift Darren up and slam him. All those things just didn't seem like the appropriate game plan for TJ here. But it is what it is. The Darren, Darren, the damage, Elkins, finds a way. The old vet does it again. Gets bloodied up, gets battered a little bit, finds a way to get the back, tires TJ out, and sinks in that rear naked choke. So, statistically, Darren landed 95 total strikes. Only 11 of those significant. A lot was, like, kind of touchy ground and pound. But he had five takedowns and eight attempts. Very, very impressive. He had two submission attempts and a reversal as well. Super active fight. No one stayed in position. It was 50-50. Reversal situations pretty commonly. And TJ only landed 45 total strikes, 15 of those significant. You know, he was battling the takedown and trying to get off his back the majority of the first round. Again, when he did throw, he had some success. I wish he would have stuck with that. Uh, TJ had two takedowns and a reversal of his own as well. So now Darren starts a new winning streak. He is 2-1 and one since 2022. Not super active, but can you blame him? The guy's almost 40. Still getting dubs over young kids in their prime, man. Uh, TJ extends his losing streak to two. He is two and three since 2022. Been very active, five fights in two years, um, but trying to get more on the winning track. So what's next? How about Darren and Daniel Pineda? I think that would be a fun fight. And for TJ, how about Herbert Burns, the Ultimate Fighter alum? Um, I think that would be perfect. And then starting the main card, we got this one right. Christian Rodriguez, although he missed weight pretty easily, <laughs> like I think four pounds over, he got the unanimous decision over Cameron Samen. And boy, did C-Rod continue to show how well-rounded he is. Uh, this was a very, very fun boxing, boxing back and forth affair. Great showcase from the striking ability for both of these very young prospects. And I do think both of these gentlemen have very bright futures. Again, the bantamweight division is just a marathon, man. There is 50 solid fighters from 1 to 50 on the roster, and moving up is not easy. Christian continues to do so and, um, you know, does so with a smart game plan, durability, mixing in grappling and striking. Cameron wanted to get power shots when he did. When when he was finding shots, Christian got the takedown. When Cameron tired out more, he continued to showcase the gas tank that he has and uh, emptied some, some good strikes down on Cameron. Uh, but this is a fun one. Cameron's a little bit younger, a little bit more inexperienced, and I think that was the big difference in this fight, and that's really what we expected and talked about last week. So Christian landed 92 total strikes, 83 of those significant. He had three takedowns and six attempts, so uh, 50%, which you want 50% or more, that's great. He had two submission attempts and a reversal as well. Cameron, pretty good volume as well. 87 total strikes, uh, 73 of those significant. But he was 0 for 5 in takedown attempts. He did have a submission attempt um, on the night. 
So Christian extends his winning streak to three. He is three and one in the UFC. And Cameron suffers his first pro loss. He is four and one in the UFC. So what's next for these young studs? For Christian, I think a scrap with Julio Arce would be fun. And for Cameron, how about Miles Johns? Not easy fights for either of the go either of those guys, but again, very, very deep bantamweight division. Moving on, this one was a fast one. We had Michelle Pereira with a first-round TKO over Andre Petrosky. This was a short-notice bout. Performance of the night for Pereira, 50 Gs. And, uh, yeah, M Michelle came in, found an opening, landed a devastating blow, and just sat Andre down. Um, Andre didn't really, you know, come forward, get things going, didn't even land a strike, so... Uh, there's not a lot to be said here besides Michelle Pereira, man. Watch out. That guy is a tank. Andre comes from a wrestling grappling background. Very durable. Um, ha has de definitely been in some wars over the course of three rounds. And Pereira just said, slight work, son. Uh, but he had the full camp. Andre didn't. Andre took it. Probably thought he could grapple him. Didn't even get the chance. Statistically, Michelle landed six total and significant strikes with the knockdown. Andre, no stats to be called for. So Michelle extends his winning streak to six. Andre ends his five-fight winning streak. He starts a new losing streak, and this is his first UFC loss. He's had a pro loss, but first loss on the UFC roster. Um, so what's next? Let's get this banger. Give me Michelle Pereira, Roman Kapilov. That is going to be a certified scrap. No wrestling. That shit's going to be straight kickboxing, straight power, and I am intrigued. For Andre, we could put another banger up for him too. Uh, Bruno Ferreira, uh, Ferreira a, a guy who knocked out RoboCop coming in the UFC roster, shows the potential, coming off a loss as well. Both guys trying to get on the winning track. I think those would be straight fire bouts. So let's make it happen. And then we had the dragon, Jonathan Martinez, with a second round TKO over Adrian Yanez. Performance of the night, 50 Gs. And again, those leg kicks just keep destroying his opponents, keeping people at range. So even someone who has such crisp, crisp boxing and power as Adrian, he just pieces them up on the outside before they could come into range and land shots of their own. Once uh, Adrian did get into the, the striking distance for his combinations, he was landing, he was landing well. But that leg just got too beat up. Again, hypothetical potential MCL tear. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see the few, uh, you know, what Adrian's injury is. But man, I thought after the first round, if he was able to stay on his feet and just keep it in the pocket, keep this fight close in a phone booth, whatever you want to call it, that he had the potential to knock Jonathan out. Jonathan's been knocked out before. That's why I picked Adrian. Um, but he has, you know, vastly improved at the ability of keeping his opponents at range and, and, and making the fight go where he wants it. Uh, so props to him. A very, very good Adrian Yanez. He just defeated. He's on quite the streak now. But uh, again, I expected Adrian to want to close that distance, but easier said than done, especially when your leg uh, is chop suey, right? So statistically... Uh, Jonathan landed 36 total and significant strikes with two knockdowns, all via uh, leg kicks. It got uh, ended via technically injury TKO to the to the leg of Adrian. He could barely walk. He, you know, he's hobbling around, and uh, I thought it was a good stoppage by the ref. 
Now, Adrian landed 20 total and significant strikes. So Jonathan, again, nice streak. He's at a six-fight winning streak. He is 5-0 and since 2022. Five fights in two years undefeated. He moves up two spots in the bantamweight rankings, deservedly so, to number 11. And Adrian extends his losing streak to two. He is 1-2 since 2022. And he moves one spot down in the rankings to number 15. So what's next for these studs? I would love to see Jonathan fight Pedro Munoz. Uh, it's up in the rankings, great stylistically. It'd be a fun back-and-forth striking showdown, a veteran versus the young up-and-comer. And I know Jonathan called for um, Marab Dwalishwili. I just don't think that's going to happen, so that's why I'm saying Pedro Munoz. And for Adrian, if he is fighting anytime soon after those leg kicks, um, you know, there, there, is, there isn't a lack of options for him. I would assume he's fighting outside the top 15, but it's hard to say until we know the time frame for him. Um, but I think Chris Gutierrez, who just came off the win, as I mentioned, would be the appropriate opponent. But if, if, if he's not fighting anytime soon, um, that probably is not going to be an option. Moving on to the co-main, we had Vivian Araujo with the unanimous decision win over Jennifer Maya. Massive win for, for Vivian I'm not too surprised. I did get this fight wrong, and this was a classic Vivian victory. I, I really think the difference in this fight was the takedown and control time in round two. I thought Jennifer maybe didn't land the more powerful strikes, but was the cleaner technical striker and, and was having her advantages uh, while standing. Um, obviously, Vivian tends to slow down as the fight goes on, so she was fresh in the first round. Really timely, perfect takedown in the second round to, to wear on Jennifer, not allow her to uh, get those strikes and, and have to you know move down with uh, her jiu-jitsu on, on the mat for most of round two. And then in round three, Jennifer definitely was coming on, but with about a minute left, she went to clinch and try to grapple and take down Vivian herself, where I think if she would have kept distance and continued to strike, she probably could have won that round and potentially won the fight. But also, it's hard to say, you know, how much energy she had. Energy she had. Maybe she was clinching because she was completely gassed from all the grappling and, and trying to avoid submissions and ground and pound in round two. You know, you have to keep those things into consideration. But I was a little bummed, especially picking her, that she—that's the way she wanted to finish the fight. Again, if she would have just kept Vivian at range, kept her combinations going, she was coming in with those loopy rights and landing pretty clean. Um, but great fight by both women, very hard-fought fight, and a, a really important fight for uh, where both of these women are at in their careers. So statistically, Jennifer landed 60 total strikes, 41 of those significant. She had two takedowns and four attempts. And Vivi landed 64 total strikes, 24 of which were significant. She had two takedowns and six attempts, and the submission attempt as well. So Vivian starts a new winning streak. She is 2-2 two and two since 2022. She moves up two spots in the rankings to number nine. And Jennifer ends her two-fight uh, winning streak. She does start a new losing streak. She is two and three since 2022 and moves down two spots in the rankings to number 11. So what's next? Well, I think Vivian uh, VV versus Macy Barber would be fantastic. A little bit of new blood coming into the top of the division. And for Jennifer, I'd love her to see her square up with Tracy Cortez, uh, someone else, bottom 15, trying to move her way up against Jennifer, who's been a, a mainstay in the top 15, but in the top 10. Then, 
fight of the night, the record breaker, the sole owner of the most fight of the night bonuses in UFC history, Edson Barboza, with a unanimous decision victory over Sadiq Youssef. And man, can this guy just fucking fight, man. Edson, you know, he's been up and down in divisions, struggled later in his career to fight at the potential that he has. And I think a lot of that is due to some of the knockouts that he's taken. And, um, you know, once you've taken too many shots, it's a little bit easier to get that finish. Well, I think moving into featherweight has helped him with that durability. And I counted him out after the onslaught that Sadiq Super Yusuf had in the first round. I thought there was no way he's going to last through the course of five rounds. Um, I, I guess I didn't expect Sadiq to gas out quite as much either. But at... It's 38, I believe. Edson Barbosa. I mean, this guy is a fucking nightmare to be in the ring against. He turns 38 in January. Again, he has 20, 35 pro fights. He's coming off wins against Billy Quartillo. Lost to Bryce Mitchell, Giga Chikadze. He got TKO'd by Giga. Beat Shane Burgos. Uh, Marquan Americani lost to Dan Ige decision, lost to Paul Felder decision, lost to uh, Gaethje knockout. And again, a couple of those knockouts is like, mm, I just don't really know where he's going to go from here. Uh, but going down to featherweight, um, he, he lost to Dan Ige, spun up two wins, two losses, now two wins. This guy is just a nightmare to fight. Um, if you let him build momentum after an onslaught like Sadiq had, Paul Felder even tweeted out, like, you do not want that to happen. The leg kick potential that he has, just the, the fucking striking power. The guy is savage. He's shredded. He looks like a fucking action figure of, a, of just Mr. Whoopass. But credit to Sadiq. He hung in there after emptying the tank through five rounds. I thought he took some rounds off. I thought he should have been a little bit more aggressive, but I don't think he had the energy to do so. And, you know, I thought a guy in his prime who's trying to get a big name like Edson on the win column in your resume uh, was going to be prepared to out-cardio an almost 38-year-old man. But you have to credit Junior Edson Barboza for just fucking withstanding that. This guy is a treat to fight fans. If you haven't watched Edson before this weekend or seen him in all, go back. Go watch his fights. I'm sure there's some free ones on YouTube. If you're a Fight Pass subscriber, check him out. I mean, this guy is phenomenal. And I just can't believe he's still fighting at this point in, in his career. After all those wars, all that mileage, you know, there's only a few guys coming close to 40 that can hang like that. Michael Bisbing did it. Glover Teixeira, um, Kane Velasquez. There's very, very few dudes who can do that um, and, and are just that durable. Get it, stay in that good of shape all year round. But Junior Barbosa, give him the respect he deserves. Again, sole possessor of Fight of the Night Awards, and deservedly so. Can't wait to see him back in the octagon. Now, breaking down the fight statistics, Sadiq landed 206 total, 178 of those significant strikes. He had one takedown and two attempts, and the knockdown. I mean, round one, even Junior was like, or Edson, he was like, yeah, I was pretty much knocked out. I didn't know if I was at home at the fight. Like, what's happening? You could see his eyes roll back into his head. I, I counted him out. I thought it was over. What was I about to do? Oh, yeah. Let's look and see 
the striking differential in round one real quick. I mean, insane. Insane. That's just got to kill you being Sadiq, too, having that opportunity and just not being able to finish the man. So round one, again, I can't believe this went five rounds, to be honest. Sadiq Yusuf, 55 total strikes, had a takedown, 42 of those significant with the knockdown. Round two, he, he definitely won 43 to Edson's 33 total. And then round three, things changed when um, Edson landed a spinning wheel kick that basically knocked Sadiq out. He was down to the ground, came to life. You know, prop to the ref for, for keeping the fight going. Basically, both of these guys were knocked out. Um, and Edson was able to withstand uh, um, Sadiq. Now, Edson landed 178 total, so less volume overall. 164 of those significant, about 14 less significant strikes. Um, he did have three takedowns and four attempts and a knockdown. So Edson extends his winning streak to two. He is two and one since 2022. He moves up two spots in the rankings to number 11. And Sadiq starts a new losing streak. He is two and one since 2022. And he moves down one spot in the rankings to number 12. What a fight. Bravo to those guys. That's what fight fans need. You know, screw the Ta Tyson or Tommy Fury, KSI BS. This is real fighting. This is why I'm a fan. And these two put on a damn good show. Where do these gents go next? I would love to see Edson take on Calvin Cater, a guy who's going to strike with him, a kickboxing back and forth showdown. What both men want, that would be a certified banger. And for Sadiq, how about Dan Ige, another guy willing to scrap, stand in the pocket. Both guys, um, you know, really needed uh, to keep that momentum going. That's another scrap. Sign me up. Matchmakers, make that happen. And, and I talked about Edson Calvin on Matchmaker Monday on my socials at Bows and TKOs, Twitter or X, Instagram. Uh, you can check it out on Facebook as well. As much as I love that fight of the night, though, I can't wait to wake up this weekend. UFC 294, Steelers in LA. Forget about any problems that could be going on. I, as a sports fan, am fired up. College football, NHL, NBA preseason, UFC 294 is the most excited I am. And I'm more excited about these short notice fights than the originals. This is going in Abu Dhabi, Yaz Island. Prelims early, ESPN Plus on, at 7 a.m. Pacific. The main card, um, ESPN Pay-Per-View, 11 a.m. Pacific. This will be money well spent, guaranteed. And there's some solid fights that we aren't breaking down. Usually when I say good fights and I'm not breaking them down, it's because there's one fighter I know, the other fighter I have not a clue about. Especially in Abu Dhabi, there's a lot of foreign guys that make UFC debuts here. A lot of the, the Far East foreign people will, will fight in Abu Dhabi. It's not as far as coming to Las Vegas, things of that nature. Or, you know, they're pretty lopsided. Sometimes short notice fill-ins, things like that. But kicking it off, we have Shara Magobedov making his UFC debut. He's got 11 wins, 10 of which are via knockout. Taking on knockout artist Bruno Silva. And Bruno Silva right now is actually at plus 196 odds as the underdog. So people hyped up about Shara Magomedov. With the name Magomedov, you don't want to be playing games, that's for sure. 
We have the road to the UFC winner. They did the little tournament. Um, I think it was just Asian fighters, Japan, Chinese, things like that. Well, we oh, well not just, just Asia, but countries close to that. Road to the UFC winner and Shul Jubli. Um, you know, he's not Asian. I can't remember which country he's from. But he put on a good performance to win that fight of the night tournament. He's taking on Mike Breeden. We have Abu Azaitar taking on Cedricus Dumas, who is coming off a nice win. Muhammad Yaya making his UFC debut against contender series savage Trevor Peak. Uh, you know, a Trevor Peak fight that, that's always worth tuning in. This guy is like redneck chaos, and I love it. But we're kicking this thing off in the prelims. We have Nathaniel, the prospect Wood, 30 years old with a 20 and 5 record, taking on Muhammad Hillman Namov, 29 years old with a 9 and 2 record. Now, Woods returning after only three months off. He said he wants to be active. He's taking on Naimov, uh, who had a statement win in his UFC debut, so no slouch. Uh, but Nathaniel Wood is a heavy favorite at minus 350 currently. Now, Nathaniel trains at a Great Britain top team. He is a Bellator Cage Warriors alum and former champion with two successful title defenses at Cage Warriors. He's on a three-fight winning streak. Nine of his 20 wins are via knockout, five via submission. So 14 of his 20 wins via finish. Now, Muhammad trains out of Elevation Fight Team. He's on a four-fight winning streak. He is a Titan FC and Dana White Contender Series alum. Four of his nine wins are via knockout, three via submission. So seven of nine are via finish. Now, this is going to be a lot closer fight than the odds suggest, in my opinion. We get two men in their primes early in the prelims to set the stage for the day. And this is just a great way to get that momentum going for banger scraps. Someone sees good scraps, good finishing abilities early on. If you want those bonuses, you got to go out and get them. You can't just try to outpoint your opponent. I really do expect Nathaniel Wood to lay out that wood, man. He has great kicks. Um, I wouldn't say quite as good as Jonathan Martinez, but boy, does he throw some good kicks. Uh, he has nice power shots. And I do think Muhammad's going to look to get Wood down Get this down to the octagon early and often. Tire Nathaniel Wood out. So it'll be interesting with a little bit of a clash of styles. But I am taking Nathaniel, the prospect, Wood. We putting him on that parlay. We marking it down. And we getting that bread. Moving on. We got Javid, the snow leopard, Basharat. 28 years old with an undefeated 14-0 record. Taking on Victor La Mangosta Henry, 36 years old with a 23-6 record. For me, this fight is really another great opportunity for Javid to continue to grow and really show us fight fans what kind of level of talent he has as he continues to move up that deep bantamweight ladder. Um, but, you know, a lot is on the line for uh, Henry. He came to the UFC a little bit later in his, you know, mid-30s or yeah, young to mid-30s. And he's looking to, you know, have an opportunity to move up the ladder board as well. Now, Javid trains out of Extreme Couture. He is an undefeated fighter, 14-fight winning streak, 4-0 in the UFC. He is a Contender Series alum. Six of his 14 wins are via submission, five via knockout, so 11 of 14 via finish. And he does have a three-inch leg reach advantage. 
Now, Victor is on a one-fight winning streak. He is a king of the cage and risen alum. He is 2-1 in the UFC. Eight of his 23 wins are via submission, six via knockout, so 14 of 23 via finish. Now, Victor's solid. He is going to have to push Javid, and I expect Javid to be better everywhere and find a way to victory. Both men recently fought Tony Gravely, who is no longer in the UFC. I thought pretty highly of him, though. Victor won that uh, fight against Tony via split decision and Javid via unanimous decision to give you an idea of common opponents. But I'm taking Javid, man. He's, he's not even in his prime yet. Is a full, well-rounded package, and I think he's going to provide problems for Victor. I think he's going to be the better striker, the better grappler, and we're putting the Snow Leopard on our parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. How great would it be UFC only parlay, pop that ish off before I'm LA, get the weekend going, and there is some fun underdog opportunities for the dogs to come eat and us to get that bread. Speaking of which, in the flyweight division, we have Tim Elliott, 36 years old with a 20 and 12 and one record and the number 10 next to his name, taking on Muhammad, the Punisher Makayev. 23 years old with a 10-0 record and the number 11 next to his name. I think this is a blast of a fight, man. This is the, the, the most intriguing fight for Mokayev, the biggest step up for him. And he's returning to the octagon for the first time since he got his knee kind of mangled up in that knee bar um, against... I can't remember who it was against, but it was pretty nasty. And he's facing the stiffest competition in his young UFC career. So we're about to find out what potential Muhammad has. I mean, we know, but we're really going to get that measuring stick. So Timmy trains out of extreme couture. He has a blue belt in BJJ. He has a D2 wrestling background out of Labette Community College. He's also won a JUCO championship in 2007 out of the University of Central Oklahoma. He is tied with Mighty Mouse Demetrius Johnson for the most takedowns in UFC flyweight division history with 58. Can he break that record uh, taking on the Dagestani stud grappler in Mikhaev? It'll be fun to find out. He has the most strikes landed in UFC featherweight divi or flyweight division history with 1,715. He is tied for the most decision wins in flyweight division at seven. The most decision bouts in the UFC flyweight division with 13. The most unanimous decision flyweight wins with seven. He's got the second most total fight time in flyweight division with over three hours and 41 minutes. He is an RFA uh, Titan FC alum and former champion. He had two successful title defenses with Titan FC. And he is also an uh, Ultimate Fighter alum and champion. He really helped provide the opportunity for flyweight in the UFC. He is on a two-fight winning streak, a little resurgence. Six of his 19 wins are via submission, and five of his 12 losses are also via submission, which makes this fight even more interesting. Now, Muhammad has a freestyle wrestling background. He has a purple belt in BJJ. He is a Brave alum. Five of his 10 wins are via submission, and he does have a four-inch reach advantage in this fight. 
This is good. You know, flyweight fights are always wild. But this is going to be a high-paced fight. Both men are going to try and showcase who is the better grappler. They're going to try to out-cardio each other. That's what they do. I expect both men to attempt takedowns early and often to kind of own the dominance factor. You know, Tim's a grown-ass man. He's 36 years old. Mohamed Makayev is 23. There's got to be a little bit of ego going on there. I do believe Tim is going to have the slight striking advantage with all of his you know, experience in the octagon, and he's really looked to improve that of late. I, I feel like Tim has a mental barrier issue. Sometimes he shows up the best Tim Elliott. Sometimes he doesn't. So that'll be interesting. Tim has looked very solid in his last couple wins, but I, you know, if I have to bet someone put a gun up against my head, pick a fighter or you die, I'm taking Muhammad Makayev. I can't pick against the young stud. You know, he has way less mileage, mileage on him. I think he's going to push Tim to the limit. Tim is showcased. He's a cardio machine. He, he comes at volume, but it's hard to bet against someone um, that has way less miles on him and has showed the potential that Muhammad has. Don't get me wrong. Tim Elliott right now is at plus 350 odds. I am sprinkling some money on that. Might do an underdog parlay as well. I don't make any of my bets or official picks until after the weigh-ins on Fridays because of a lot of reasons. Um, Kamaru's saying it's clickbait, but there's rumors that Kamaru in his open workouts popped something or said, hey, I popped something. His workout stopped. You know, he doesn't want people to know. He could be trying to screen it. It could be valid. I, I mean, who knows? There's just a lot of things that could happen leading up to a fight, especially in Abu Dhabi. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens at that point. And again, I would like to start doing a Discord, Facebook Messenger, Telegram, something of that nature where I provide my picks. Uh, but coming soon. Um, but I'm taking Muhammad Makayev, um, and I am putting him on a parlay because I'm pretty confident. But again, it's a, a very good value for Tim Elliott at the plus money. But let's put the Punisher on that parlay. Let's mark it down, and let's get that bread. Wait, what's his minus odds? 520. Yeah, probably probably put him in the parlay. Parlay confidence. Moving on into the main card. We have Saeed Nurmagomedov, 31 years old, with a 17-3 record, taking on Muin Tajik Gufarov, 27 years old, with an 18-5 record. Now, Saeed's definitely had a little bit of turbulence in his interesting UFC career thus far. He hasn't lived up to the kind of expectations that you see with the other Nurmagomedovs, Umar, Usman, and obviously Khabib. He's the cousin. He is a solid striker, though. And if, you know, he's fighting a younger fighter who is seeking his first UFC win, so that definitely helps. But Gafarov has some serious finishing abilities. Especially while standing, he could get some submissions as well. So it is going to be a challenging fight. Let's see what the odds suggest. Saeed, minus 235. It might be a little closer than the odds suggest as well. But breaking it down, Saeed, he's coming off a loss to Jonathan Martinez. He was on a four-fight winning streak before that loss. He is 6-2 and two in the UFC since 2018. So not the most active of guys, but uh, again, up and down. And he's in his prime now. Time is now, man. Moeen is a one-championship contender series and LFA alum. He lost his UFC debut in June, so he's 0-for-1 in the UFC. 
10 of his 18 wins are via knockout, 7 via submission. So 17 of his 18 fights are via finish. Massively impressive. I do think we're going to see a kickboxing war here. Both men are coming off losses. They're hungrier than ever, especially Saeed in his prime. Needs a win to stay relevant. Keep respect on that Nurmagomedov name and keep moving up in the division. I think as long as he doesn't get taken down and held down, he's going to win the striking battle to decision. He's not as good of a grappler as the Magomedovs that you're used to or the other Nurmagomedovs, uh, but he's solid. And I think Mawin's going to look to land some big shots, be aggressive early, you know, go out, try to go out on your sword a little bit. So Saeed's going to have to watch out. This is a close fight. I think it's going to go the distance. I am taking Saeed. We are putting Nurmagomedov on that parlay, marking that ish down and getting that bread. Moving on. We got Ikram Aliskarov. The 30-year-old fighter with a 14-1 record and the number 11 next to his name. Taking on Warley Alves, 32 years old with a 14-6 record. Now, this fight is a byproduct of two changes. Ikram was supposed to fight Paolo. I don't think that was ever official. They, they announced it trying to force Paolo to do that. He was trying to get a contract at the time. Then was supposed to fight Kamzat. So, insert Nasardina Mavov against Ikram. But um, Nasruddin had to pull out due to injury. So now he's getting a veteran who's in his prime at 32 and is desperate of a quality win on his resume. And now he gets a chance to shock the world. Now, Ikram has a Sambo style. Obviously, he's an international master of sport and combat Sambo. When these foreign Russian dudes, they international master of sport, it's like a black belt in my opinion. He was a Sambo world champion in 2012 and 2016. He's won some like Russians and things like that, but I usually just talk about world championships. That shows that you're elite. He is a brave and Eagle FC alum. He is on a six fight winning streak and his only loss was to the only Kamzat Chemaev. And that was in the brave promotion in 2019. Warley is an ultimate fighter, Brazil alum and champion. He is on a two-fight losing streak and has not won since 2021. Again, this is his opportunity to get back on where he, on track where he wants to be. He is a Jungle Fight alum, and six of his 14 wins are via submission. For a short-notice opponent, I mean, Warley's game. He's a well-rounded fighter. He's got good ju uh, BJJ. He's Brazilian. That's classic for Brazilian fighters. Uh, but I do expect the best version of Ikram. You know, he's preparing for Paula Costa, preparing for Nasser Dean. I take them above Worley, uh, higher on the totem pole. Uh, but, you know, sometimes getting a short-notice opponent it has its uh, disadvantages. But I think that it's going to definitely be advantage to Ikram being prepared in his prime as well. I think Ikram's going to have better MMA grappling, right? You have guys that are good wrestlers, guys that are good sambo, freestyle. But MMA grappling, having the gloves, being able to actually execute on takedowns, get them up against the cage, get your hands locked, whatever it takes. When it comes to MMA grappling, I'm taking the grappling ability of Ikram. I also think he has more technical striking and power shots. Worley is a little bit, you know, unorthodox, unscripted, um, but he could come at you, land a big shot. It could be night-night. I think that um, Ikram's going to be too much. Keep uh, Alves at distance, find his way to victory, and potentially even get the finish. For that reason... I'm putting Ikram on that parlay, 
we marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. And boy, oh boy, what a treat these next three fights are. Any of them could potentially be fight of the year, fight of the night, and just Hall of Fame level fights. Seriously. Here we get two men exactly like in the heart of their prime, 31 years old. We get Megomed and Kalaev, 31-year-old fighter with an 18-1-1 record. It should be 19-1 uh, in my opinion. He's taking on Johnny Walker, 31 years old with a 21-7 record. For light heavyweight, this is as good as it gets. Again, we get two men in their primes. Johnny was once like this super hyped up prospect who was thought of as a uh, future champion. Ever since Magomed is coming to the UFC, he's been thrown into the deep end. He's dominated his competition. And I thought he should have won the interim title against Jan Blachowicz. Uh, but it is what it is. That's old news. Moving on. Megomed has a combat Sambo style with the master of sport and combat Sambo. He was a combat Sambo world champion three times, 2013, 15, and 16. He's on a nine-fight winning streak. He had the draw in there as well. His only UFC loss was in his UFC debut against Paul Craig, and he got him in with the triangle. Paul is a triangle uh, Condesor. 10 of his 18 wins are via knockout. Now, Johnny has a brown belt in BJJ. He is a Jungle Fight alum and Contender Series alum. He is on a three fight winning streak. 16 of his 21 wins are via knockout. Four of his seven losses are via knockout. Johnny lives by his sword to knock out or to be knocked out. But the weapon that Johnny possesses, his seven-inch reach advantage. He long. I really do think Johnny has to leverage his length here to attempt to keep Magomed at range. I would not be surprised if Uncle Live actually looks to mix in some takedown attempts and keep Walker guessing as well. The challenge is, is just Johnny's a wild card. He's fought wild. He's emptied the tank right out the gates a little too early. You know, he's fought measured recently over the course of three rounds of, uh, as of late. Now, Megomed, he, he really does great job mixing in the kicks. I think that he, that's going to pay off in this fight. You know, Johnny has some kicks as well. It's just not as common in his arsenal and as well-versed. I do think Megomed is the better defensive striker. You know, he's fought some big power strikers of late and has done well in that department. And, and, and he showed his durability against Blachowicz, the Polish power. Johnny, because he's a little bit of a wild card, opens himself up to big shots sometimes. For that reason, I'm taking Megomed, and I would not be surprised if it's via finish, but the first round is going to be chaos. I can't wait for this fight to start. I am taking Megomed. I am putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Then the short notice co-main event. I thought I had an idea how these fights would shake out. I had to watch a little bit of film. I went back. I watched Kamaru's last fight against Leon Edwards. You know, what, what really happened to the defeat of Kamaru? I still think Kamaru won that fight, especially with the point deduction, grabbing the fence, kicking Kamaru in the freaking nuts, grabbing the gloves, all that shit. I thought uh, Kamaru deserved the victory there, but it is what it is. It's a new day. He's going in up a division, trying to get another strap. 
and he's taking on Shemaev, the man that we all wanted him to fight and fight for the title in uh, welterweight anyways. So I watched Kamaru Leon. I watched Kamzat versus uh, Gilbert Burns. For the main event, I watched the Islam Volk fight over again just to refresh and, and try to bring some value here. But in the co-main, we have Kamaru, the Nigerian Nightmare Usman, 36 years old with a 20-3 and record and the number one next to his name, taking on Kamzat Bors Chemaev. 29 years old with an undefeated 12-0 record and the number four next to his name. What a fucking fight we get on short notice. Now, again, this was the welterweight title fight that everyone wanted. And now we're getting a title eliminator shot uh, or eliminator fight for the shot at the middleweight champion and Sean Strickland, who Kamaru's already defeated. Now, Kamaru's number one, Kamzat's number four. Those are at welterweight. Those are not middleweight rankings. You know, Kamzat's had some time off. I think he has been prepared to fight at uh, middleweight. I don't think Kamaru was really planning that. You know, he didn't want to fight in Izzy's division. Izzy's been dethroned. He's taken time off. Now he gets the opportunity. It is what it is. I don't know if he was planning on staying at this division. And the outcome of this fight may determine what's going to happen with him in his future. I think because of this being up a weight class, though, we're going to get fresher, more durable fighters that could really allow this to get fun. I wish it was five rounds. It's only three. But this could very well be a fight of the year candidate that fans talk about for a long time. Uh, watching that Gilbert Burns fight back, I mean, that was war. That was the first test for Kamza. He passed it. Um, you know, Gilbert really had his moments. And Kamaru has held down. Gilbert Burns two times over, I believe. Let me double check for victory. I think it was once early and then recently. So obviously he beat Gilbert via TKO round three in 2021. That was a five round fight. So only went three rounds. Oh, so that was the only time he fought. I thought he fought fun of before, but I guess not. Either way, he defeated Gilbert. In a finishing fashion, Kamzat couldn't finish Gilbert. Obviously, different weight classes there as well. But whoo, am I fired up? So let's break it down. So Kamaru trains out of Sanford MMA. Obviously, he, he, he works with Trevor Whitman. For this fight, he is going to have two of the best in the business, Trevor Whitman and Henry Hooft in his corner. He has a black belt in BJJ. He has a D2 wrestling background out of the University of Nebraska at Kearney. He was a national champion with a 44-1 record. He is an Ultimate Fighter alum and champion. He is also an RFA and Legacy FC alum. He is on a two-fight losing streak, both of them to Leon Edwards. He's 1-2 with Leon. He should be 2-1 in my opinion. He is the former welterweight champion with five successful title defenses. I mean, he has been a nightmare in that division. He has the latest knockout in UFC title fight history against Colby Covington. His, he's the first Nigerian-born UFC champion. He has the most consecutive wins in welterweight history in the UFC at 15. The most UD wins in UFC welterweight history at 10. And then the big stat everyone's chatting about, the highest takedown percentage in UFC welterweight history at over 97%. 
He was the 2021 Fighter of the Year. He had the 2021 Knockout of the Year against Jorge Masvidal. Now, Kamza is a purple belt in BJJ. He has a freestyle wrestling background. Five of his last six fights have been performance of the night or fight of the night. He has the record for fastest consecutive wins in modern UFC history in 10 days. Two wins back to back. That's what made him famous, really. And he also has a record for the uh, fastest three-fight winning streak in UFC history. 66 days. Three wins. He was the 2020 Breakout Fighter of the Year. He's a brave alum. Six of his 12 wins are via knockout. Five via finish or submission. So 11 of his 12 wins via finish. He gets it done. With this being short notice, the, the divisional change, there's so many storylines to break down. I'm giving the edge to Chimaev since it is a, th- a three-round fight. I think Kamara would benefit with this being a five-round fight. Kamaro has had seven months off since he lost his title uh, shot in the rematch in a very close fight to Edwards that I thought he won. Kamzat has had over a year off since his last fight. He's been prepping to move up to middleweight. I'm not sure that that was the plan again for Kamaro to come to middleweight. So there's a lot of things that you can do in your training and conditioning to build up, build your gas tank, build your durability, your strength, so many things. Again, with Izzy being dethroned, now there's an opportunity to come up, get a title shot. He's taking advantage of it, and I freaking love it. Now, Kamaru obviously has the experience advantage. He's proved himself. He's defeated all the scary guys in the division. He was the nightmare of the division. Now, Kamzat's best showcase was that impressive win over Gilbert Burns, and that was the first time he's really been pushed to three rounds, and he passed the test, although he did gas out. But the volume of that fight, insane. Now, after that nasty head kick finish that Leon got on Kamaru, a lot of people didn't know if he'd be the same. I do think he was a little gun-shy in that rematch in the second fight. Could have potentially cost him the fight due to volume. If we see the best Nigerian nightmare, I think he outstrikes, outgame plans with his coaches, outcardios, and continually stuffs Chemaev's takedown attempts. But this is short notice. Throw that out the window. I have a feeling Kamzat's going to have the, the big advantage. I think he's going to come out of the gates like a bat out of hell and look to finish Kamaru. I think he still thinks Kamaru thinks about that head kick knockout. I think that he thinks he's uh, potential to be knocked out. I think he wants to get the finish and sell and go all out for it. Kamaru, if he can battle in that first round, do what he does and control the octagon, stuff the takedowns, maybe get a takedown himself. Who knows? Things will be interesting. I wish it was five rounds. It's only three rounds. The logical pick in me is taking Kamzat Chemaev. But if I am putting money on it in my spare time, which I am, Kamaru is... Wait a minute. This side is saying Kamaru is the favorite. That can't be right. I saw that he was the big underdog. Let me double check this real quick. Fight odds. Kamzat, favorites in all books. That website's on crack. He's minus 250 or better on most. Bet online, minus 275. Uh, My bookie, 312. DraftKings, 305. FanDuel, 320. Kamaru, plus 235, plus 240, plus 243, plus 245 on DraftKings. Come on. 
that just screams potential and making money. And I obviously like the opportunity of Kamaro getting the bet. For this reason, for my pick standings, for me to give you guys, like this is probably what's going to happen. Because of the short notice opportunity, I am taking Kamzat. But golly, I really have a lot of my stomach saying Kamara is going to pull it off. Add the open way out drama, if it's valid or not. We'll see how weigh-ins go. Things could change for me throughout the week. But at this moment, I'm taking Boars, and I am not putting him on a parlay. Then we have the main event. I love John Jones. John is the GOAT. He's the pound-for-pound pound number one. He's probably getting one more fight, one more opportunity to beat the heavyweight one of the heavyweight goats, really, uh, to be the, the you know, d- throned as one of the most amazing mixed martial artists we've ever seen. When John Jones retires, these two men are the pound-for-pound pound best in the UFC. And we're getting a rematch on short notice. Alexander Volkanovsky, bravo, man. You are exactly what you say you are. Every fight fan should respect you for that. You're a badass, and you deserve victory here. But... The fight is Islam Makachev, 31 years old with a 24-1 record, taking on Alexander the Great Volkanovsky, 35 years old with a 26-2 record. When there's a short-notice fight, 12 days, you have to travel you know, from Australia to Abu Dhabi. Sorry, I'm not a uh, geographical you know, stud or expert. I have no idea how far that is, but I am assuming it's not an easy trip. Let's see. I don't think it's as bad as the States. Thirteen hours and forty-four minutes. So yeah, not that easy. Time changes. There's just a lot that goes. You can't get acclimated. Islam's already been prepared to leave, is already there. With that being said, I did think the first time I watched the Volk fight that Volk won. Watching it back, I could see how the judges gave it to Islam, and I'm not surprised on the scorecards. Either way, Volk moving up, fighting Islam Makachev, and doing what he did was fantastic. And now we're getting it on a 12-day notice. This is straight chaos, straight insanity. But Volk is different, man. He's a rugby player. I'm telling you, it's just a little bit different of a mindset. For for Islam, it's a tough opponent. I think it's a little... I love Charles Oliveira. I'm not trying to discredit him at all, but Volk is a mismatch problem for Islam. He's hard to submit. He has short, stocky builds, so no neck to choke out. Uh, he showed he's hard to hold down. He's really improved his ground game. He's working with Craig Jones a lot. He's got a black belt in BJJ himself. You know, Volk's battle-tested. He, he fights with more than anyone. He's fought all the dudes. You know, he, he's had a trilogy with Max Holloway, one of the best non-title fights fighters in any division he has more experience i think he's a better striker than islam i think he always will be with that being said islam hasn't fought since our last fight i think he has become a better fighter working with khabib in that camp they've probably seen a lot of film and opportunities to improve where they didn't know they needed to because they haven't been tested like that volk obviously had surgery as well uh in his time off he fought yair rodriguez you know showed out and he plans to fight in January again against Ilya Tapiria, one of the dangerous prospects in the featherweight division that he has not fought. Again, straight savagery. Alexander Volkanovsky, much respect. 
because you're out there doing the damn thing. He is doing things that people will talk about but won't do. He even called Islam out. You would not have taken this fight if the tables were turned on 12 days notice. But I'm that guy. I have an opportunity to make a storybook um, storyline here. And I can't wait for it to see how it shakes out. Let's break it down a little bit. These two pound-for-pound studs. Islam, of course, he has that combat style, combat sambo style. He trains out of AKA. He has a black belt in judo. He's a master of sport and combat sambo. He was a sambo world champion in 2016. His last two fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night. He has the least significant stripe strikes absorbed per minute in UFC lightweight division history at 1.24 a minute. For some, he had the 2022 submission of the year against Charles Oliveira. He is on a 12-fight winning streak. He is 13-1 in the UFC. His only loss was his pro debut in the UFC. He is an M1 alum. 11 of his 24 wins are via submission, and he does have a 4.5-inch reach advantage. Now, Volkanovski trains out of city kickboxing. He has a black belt in BJJ. He has five successful title defenses at featherweight. Three of his last five fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night. He shows up, he shows out. We know this. He's got the highest striking differential in USC featherweight division history at 3.3. He has the longest average fight time in UFC featherweight division at over 17 minutes, almost 18. You know, he's fighting titles all the time though. He has the most leg kicks landed in a UFC featherweight fight, 81 against Jose Aldo. He has been the pound-for-pound pound number one. He was the 2019 Breakout Fighter of the Year, 2022 Fighter of the Year, and had the 2021 Fighter of the Year against Brian Ortega. Because of the Islam loss, he's only on a one-fight winning streak, but he is undefeated in the UFC at, at the featherweight division. And 13 of his 26 wins are via knockout. I think we know who Volk is as a fighter. For Islam, I do think he could continue to improve his striking and show us things that we may have not seen because he hasn't fought a lot of top competition that's pushed him. We do know this. Islam will get takedowns, but can he do anything with them? Volk really passed that test in flying colors last time, and you would assume he's prepared for that because he's been talking about a potential rematch anyways. Didn't plan it on 12 days short notice, but here we are. I do think Islam's going to get those takedowns, but can he win on the judges' scorecards again with just trying to smash and hold on to Volkanovski? Volkanovski, I think, is going to be more aggressive as he will have confidence in his striking from the first bout, and I think he could win rounds that way. I think the short notice doesn't affect Volk as much as it does Kamaru, to be honest. Uh, Volk's bigger. you know. I think he's going to be uh, more durable, healthier coming into this fight. Um, whereas Kamaru moving up, I don't know where he was at weight-wise, what his preparation is. I know he's a big welterweight, but I, I just think it's a, a bigger disadvantage for Kamaru than it is Volk. I think um, Volk is going to have great cardio, be in shape. Uh, you know, he's planning on the fight in January. He said he's been in, in, in good shape. I think getting the game plan prepared is going to be the challenge with the travel. You know, thinking he was going to fight Ilya. Now having to transition to this, I would not be shocked if Volk was able to beat Islam with volume alone. 
and, and just letting his strikes get after it, keeping you know keeping loose and, and open in there. But I think we're going to see that improved striking from Islam. I, I think he's going to be hell-bent on continuing to getting takedowns in a little bit of a different manner than he did the last fight. Um, but when watching the first fight back, he did really good with the teep kicks. He had nice left uh, check hooks because Volk, he kind of has to get in because he's short. He's, he's not as long as, as Islam. So to get into Islam's range, he kind of has to come in. And every time he could, would come in, boom, Islam would land that nef, uh, nice left uh, check left hook. I think he's going to keep that going. And he had a lot of nice knees up the middle that landed. I think we'll see a lot of those as well. I would like to see, if I'm Islam's team, more teep, teep kicks, keep Volk in check and out range. But one of the things I notice is, is really what's helped Volk, especially in the wins over Holloway, we talked about those numbers in the Jose Aldo fight, is he didn't throw a lot of kicks in the first fight. And I know that that could be worried about the takedowns, but I would like to see some calf kicks, keep that front leg out from Islam, and mix in more kicks. So I, I don't know if that's going to happen. And I, I really don't know if Islam's game plan changes much from Charles DeVolk. He's going to do what he does no matter who the opponent is, in my opinion. But then we also have to thank Volk. He's accustomed to rematches. He's been in a trilogy with Holloway. And every time, if you watch those fights, he's ha added a good amount of differentiations and, and strategy to his game plan. You know, he has a very, very great corner with Eugene and team. He has excelled at different things every time to keep Holloway guessing. And it's really worked. Obviously, he's won all three. Um, but yeah, I would like to see, if I'm Islam, more teep kicks, more knees, a little bit more um, loose with the with the striking. And for Volk, more leg kicks um, and, uh, and and let that open up um, some of your power shots uh, and, and the right that Islam is going to be worried about. To be honest, with the Camaro fight, with this fight, if you say, I know this is what's going to happen, trust me, you're full of shit, you don't know. That's what makes the UFC great. That's why we tune in every weekend. These two fights in Abu Dhabi, I wish it was in Vegas, man. I would be there in a heartbeat. Can't wait. But for my logical pick, I am taking Islam Makachev. But again, Volkanovsky, like on DraftKings, plus 230. FanDuel, plus 200. That's easy money. You could parlay him and Kamaru. Maybe even Tim Elliott. Sprinkle some money on them themselves. Lots of fun plays here. But for logistics, on short notice, it is Islam. He is a stud. He trains with Khabib. He has an amazing team as well. I can't pick against him. I am taking Islam, but I am not putting him on a parlay. But golly, I cannot wait for this card. This is what fucking makes the UFC the best sport out there. But we do have another fight happening next weekend. We have another foreign card, Fight Night Sao Paulo, Brazil, headlined by another short-notice headliner, Jaelton Almeida. He's a fucking problem. Taking on the Black Beast. Derek Lewis. That's going to be a fun one. It's a solid fight night card. There are, is some great fights on that. So we'll talk about it next week. I'm your host, Shane Gillette, episode 20. Please like my channel on YouTube. Subscribe. If you're tuning into the audio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, it means a lot. I'm really trying to get these numbers up. I put my time in. I'm doing the damn thing. Need to build that audience and make it worthwhile. So again, appreciate it. We'll talk more fights next week. See you next week.